preach this morning. Hey, sometimes you have not because you ask not. Let's pray that the Lord will help your pastor to preach good and sure today. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for your help. I ask, Lord, that I can speak clearly. That I can speak to the hearts of your people. I ask you, Lord, that your will would be done, that you would anoint me, Lord, that you would anoint my voice. Hallelujah. That I could hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, that you would touch our hearts to receive it, touch our ears to receive it, Lord. Touch our eyes so we can see the great things that you have in store for us. Hallelujah. We say yes and amen to every precious word of your book. We pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. Let's go ahead and get into the word of the Lord. My title uh, this morning is What Then? What Then? Acts chapter 21 and verse number 22. On the following day... Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And when he had greeted them, he told in details those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads or thousands of Jews there are who have believed. And they are all zealous for the law. But when they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. And here's where I got my title from. What then? The assembly must certainly meet for they will hear that you have come. What then? Let me give you a little bit of context here. Remember in the book of Acts, there was a great outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This happened in Jerusalem, and there were many devout Jews that had traveled to Jerusalem, and so they were gathered in the city. And after they received the Spirit, it not only uh, brings us back to God, but when you get the real Holy Ghost, it brings us together. Amen? Oh, yeah. And so they were a part of something greater than themselves. They were part of the body of Christ. And so they didn't want to return home, so they stayed in Jerusalem. So originally, the church was based out of Jerusalem, and it was Jews, and then there were um, some Jewish members of the faith that had uh, been Hellenized, meaning they were in the Greek-speaking countries, and they had come back into uh, Jerusalem. But they were, for the most part, all of Jewish descent. And... Then the gospel began to spread to the Samaritans, and then Peter went, in, went into Cornelius' house, and they received the same Holy Ghost the same way that the church did on the day of Pentecost. They, they didn't realize that it was for everyone until they heard them speaking with tongues. And aren't you thankful that we, hear, we still hear a certain oh, sound yeah. in the church? Amen. And the Lord confirmed them and poured out His Spirit on them. He's not a respecter of persons. The same promise that was for the church on the day of Pentecost, the same promise that came to the Samaritans, that came to Cornelius and his household, it's for you today. If he gave it to me, he'll give it to you. Oh, yeah. And so he poured out his precious gift of the Holy Ghost, and this opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles. If the Gentiles could receive the message from repentance unto life, and so Paul and Barnabas went out on their missionary journeys and they went to the Gentile nations. And so this is the first we see the church really fulfilling 
the Great Commission and going out to all people. And it started in Jerusalem and then to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They're carrying this gospel. But there were challenges because whenever they went to the Gentiles and the Lord was confirming them with his spirit, they were truly receiving the word and believing and repenting and being baptized in the name of Jesus. And there was great joy and great revival. But what were you to do after initially receiving the message? Because the Gentiles hadn't kept the law of Moses. They weren't familiar with all of the regulations regarding what the Jews could eat and what the Jews couldn't eat and what they could do on the Sabbath and what they couldn't do. And, and what about their children? Did they need to be circumcised or not? And so initially the Jews just, or the Gentiles, I'm sorry, received the message gladly. But then some of their Jewish brethren came and they said, but these Gentiles are not keeping the old covenant law. They're in the new covenant, but, but we've always practiced the old covenant. And they need to keep these same requirements. And the dispute got pretty hot. So much so that Paul said, well, we're going to go back to the council and we're going to receive the wisdom of the brethren. And so they went back to Peter and James and to those that were leading the church out of Jerusalem and they gave them their report. And whenever they heard that God had baptized the Gentiles with the Holy Ghost and how he was working among the Gentiles and, and Paul stood up and made his case, what he understood from the scripture. And then James spoke and it was agreed upon by all the elders. And they decided we don't want to put more on the Gentiles than is required. That this covenant, this old covenant was given to the Jewish people and it was given for those that were under Moses. And so the Jews had continued in it, but this was not God's covenant to all men in every nation. And so they said, we're not going to put extra burdens on these new believers. And they said, it seems good to us. It seems good to the Holy Ghost. And then they begin quoting scripture. That's a good way to find the truth. Oh, find yeah. godly leadership that can come to agreement men that are wise and led by the Lord. Find a consensus among spiritual elders. Make sure that it agrees with the scripture and pray until you have confirmation in the Holy Ghost. That's how we arrive at truth. And so they, they sit back with instructions that the Gentiles did not have to keep all of these Old Testament regulations that were just a type and shadow of what was going to happen when Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And so revival happened. The Lord confirmed their decision that Paul continued on his missionary journeys and began to see just unprecedented outpourings of the Holy Ghost. Churches were established all throughout the world. But then he came back to Jerusalem. And there was a problem when he goes to meet with the elders. Not only had revival followed Paul where he had went, but they had had revival in Jerusalem as well. And since they had settled this uh, issue some short time before, they've added to the church. And they haven't just added a family or two or a hundred or two, but they've added thousands of new believers. I want to see that happen here. If he did it then, he can do it again. Amen. Amen. You receive that? He can do it again. He can add your loved ones and he can add our neighbors. God's able to do it. They added thousands to the church. True. 
And they weren't familiar with the decision that had been made before. They weren't there when the church was seeking for direction. And so the elders, whenever they heard all that God was doing among the Gentiles, they, they celebrated. In fact, they enthusiastically received it. It says they glorified God when they heard the report. Paul was doing the right thing. Yes. They all thought he was doing the right thing. But then they said, what happens next? Because if you go in to the temple, the Jews know who you are. And the unbelievers, the Jewish unbelievers, when they find out that Paul's in the temple, they're going to stir things up. They're going to start talking about how you're not making people keep the law of Moses. They're going to say you're guilty of breaking the law. They're, they're going to say that you've rejected the covenants and commandments of God. And it's not so much the fact that these people who are looking to be angry are going to get angry. But what about the thousands of new believers? Uh -huh. Those that aren't as established. Those that don't have the same understanding of the liberty that they have in Christ. The, the elders knew what God had said concerning the law. They had already put it in writing. They knew what Paul preached and they agreed with him. They approved of the Christian liberty that he had. They affirmed his message and his ministry. But they still didn't allow him to march into the temple and completely disregard the needs of his brothers and sisters. You can do it, Paul. But then what? Then what happens? And so they asked him, they said, go and go through all the ceremonial procedures mm -hmm. so that you'll be ceremonially clean. Okay. And then they said, there's some men that have to pay a vow. And we won't get into all of that, but it's just an Old Testament thing, okay? And you would go to the temple to pay your vows. And so they said, when they go to pay their vows, pay the vow for them and show that, that you're not antagonistic against the law. You're preaching to the Gentiles and you're preaching the message of salvation, but you're not intentionally against the law. So purify yourself and go with these men and pay their vow. Now, again, we need to consider who they're talking to. This is the great Apostle Paul. This is the one who when the Judaizers came to the church uh, in Galatia and tried to tell them you've got to revert back to the law. Paul had very clearly spoken to the church and he had written and said if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died in vain. Right. He knew what he believed. He knew that ceremonial cleansing didn't purify anyone in the eyes of God. Right. He's the one that preached that God didn't dwell in a tabernacle built by hands. It didn't matter that you were going into the tabernacle. That's not how you became clean. He knew all of these things uh, weren't an end in and to themselves, but they were preparing the people of God to have faith and receive Jesus Christ, and yet he willingly took all of these steps that he knew were extra steps, unnecessary steps, things that he didn't have to do, things that God didn't 
tell him he had to do. He did it all before he entered into the temple. Do you know why he did? Because he wasn't just thinking about that moment. He wasn't thinking about what he felt, what he knew. It was bigger than just him. He was thinking about what happens next. When I exercise my liberty, what then? What then? We call ourselves apostolic. I'm glad we do because it points us back to the apostles. The ones that Jesus prayed over. The ones that Jesus entrusted the church with. The ones that Jesus opened their understanding to all of the scripture. And I, I try my best to seek the truth. And I, I believe the Lord's still revealing truth to us as we, I, I read the Bible and find new oh, things. Yeah. And the Lord opens our eyes to it. These men, God had opened their, their understanding so they could see how all the scripture came together to speak of Christ. And so we try to pattern ourselves after the apostles. That's what I mean when I say apostolic. We want to have the apostles' doctrine. We want to continue in their practices. We want to experience what they experienced. We want to be what the early church was. I, I've seen things with my own eyes that you, you couldn't describe them any other way besides for miraculous. I read about it in the book of Acts, but I've, I've seen miracles and conversions. I want to see them on the same scale that they did back then. We desire the apostles' power, but you know, we need the apostles' wisdom as well. Hallelujah. They stopped to consider the outcome of their actions before they hastily moved. They deliberated. And they were deliberate in their response. They looked ahead instead of simply at what was directly facing them. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 2 says, It's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. Proverbs 21 and 5 says the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. You will make poor and even sinful decisions when you act hastily. True. Amen. Amen. Yes. James 1 and 20 says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, sometimes we get good and mad. We're just going to do something, aren't we? Yeah. Usually we're not good and mad. We're just mad. Because you tend to make bad decisions. You tend to say things you shouldn't say. You tend to do things you shouldn't do. You tend to, to overlook things you shouldn't overlook. Whenever you act hastily. Whenever you act angrily. Whenever you respond based on your emotions. And you don't think... Then what? After I do this, what comes next? You know, Paul could have split the church by his knowledge. Paul could have said, I'm right, and I know I'm right, and you know I'm right. And he could have forevermore divided the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's right. 
He could have rejected the council. He could have rejected the, the wishes of the apostles. He could have said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You know, it's easy to, to judge other people's motives harshly, isn't it? Right. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but we can judge other people very harshly. It would have been very easy for him to say, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're too worried about the opinions of men. You need to stand for the truth. You're trying to impress these Jewish people. You're afraid you're going to lose your position if you offend them. That's why. That's why you're so careful about offense. The truth is offensive. And he could have just marched right in and blown the whole thing up. He could have said, you're a bunch of compromisers. You yourself know we're not bound to the law. You're afraid to stand in the liberty God gave you. He could have said, you're legalists. People say all these things today, don't they? Yeah. You're just a legalist. You're getting me stuck making demands on me that aren't salvational. I don't have to keep your requirements. I don't care about your stupid ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And if he had done all of that, he could have won the argument. Because what he was saying about the law was true. Maybe what he was saying about his brothers wouldn't have been, but... What he was saying about the law would have been true. He could have won the argument. But I wonder how many souls he could have lost in the process. If he did what he wanted to do. If he did what he knew. If he was reckless. What then? What would happen to the church? What would happen to those that were young in the faith? What about Jesus' prayer that we would all be one? Doesn't that matter as well? What about his credibility when he would later try to teach the church that they needed to submit to those who had the rule over them? What if he didn't submit to anyone? How credible would he have been when he tried to impart that important lesson to new believers himself? You know, too often we react without thinking about the consequences. That's right. Amen? Yes, amen. We, we react to what we want. We do what we want to do. I'm, I'm a grown man. I can make my own decision. When we react to how we feel. We react to our, our sense of self-righteousness, uh, uh, self-justification. We we respond how we feel that we have the liberty to respond when someone provokes us. We, we respond and, and we do what we want to do and we don't do what we don't want to do. And as long as we feel like we haven't sinned, then that's good enough too often. Yeah. Is this a heaven or hell issue? Prove to me Prove it to me. Give it to me black and white that says that I can't do this. You know, 12 times in the gospel, the Pharisees, a lot of people think of the Pharisees, they say you're being a Pharisee if you try to commit your ways in any way to the Lord. If you try to please the Lord and you're careful about what you watch and listen to and how you conduct yourself and how you dress and what you say and you're just trying your best to be a good ambassador of Christ and and people say, well, you're such a Pharisee. You're, you're, you're so worried about the law. You're, you're a Pharisee. They've got it all backwards, you know. 
Many times you can be a Pharisee by seeing what you can get away with. Yeah. By trying to get the letter of the law and saying, well, is this heaven or is this hell? Instead of thinking, where's the heart of God? And is this wisdom? And is this pleasing? And does it edify? But when you make it just about you and just about your salvation and just about what you can do or what you can't do, you know, there were 12 times in the Gospels, and I may have missed some. I was going through quickly this morning, where I found the Pharisees in their disputes with Jesus said, either is this lawful or this is not lawful when they accused him. And they were treating the word of God, not like divine revelation of God's wonderful plans for them. But they were treated simply like a rule book, like a checklist. And everything had to be on the checklist. It's, they were so focused on the letter of the law. And certainly we want to keep the Lord's commandments. But they were so focused on the letter that they missed the heart, the intent of the oh, yeah. law. I, you can almost hear Jesus as he was exasperated with them when he said, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? He's like, I mean, what's your law say? Is it okay for me to do something that's pleasing to God today? Like that first generation, you can end up lost if all you fixate on is can I do it or can I do it? If all you fixate on is prove that it's right, uh, uh, that, it's, that it's righteous or that it's unrighteous. Prove that this it will condemn me or that it won't. Prove that this is a mortal sin and I'm falling from the faith. Because if you can't prove that, I'm going to go as far as I can go. That's the attitude of a carnal generation. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not Expedient. They're not helpful is what that means. All things are lawful for me, but I won't be brought under the power of any. And then a few chapters later, he says it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient or helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Right. And our serving the Lord, you've got to ask yourself, what happens after I make this decision? What then? Mm -hmm. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. That's right. I had a youth leader that gave me some great wisdom. He said, when in doubt, don't. It's amazing the heartache you could save yourself from if you would just not when you're in doubt. It's true. The question Paul asks, if I do this, can it bring me under its power? And then the second question he asks is, does this edify other believers? We see this uh, here in his letter to the Corinthian church, a lot of their issue was 
that they had come out of idolatry and they were still in a pagan culture. And so one of the issues he addresses repeatedly is about meats. And it seems like a silly issue to us because we're so far removed. But it was a very controversial issue at the time. And some people were very um, convicted and, and other people were offended and some were adamant that they had the liberty to eat certain meats. What's he talking about? Well, the temples, at the Corinthian temple served almost like a butcher shop. They would come and they would offer sacrifices to the idols in the temple. And since the idols were just dumb idols and couldn't actually eat the meat, then they would sell it to the people. And they even set up and had dining areas. So it's where you would go to the market to buy or there was essentially what we would consider restaurants today. And so this is how people received the meat that they were going to feed their family. And, and so then there was a question. Once you've come out of idolatry, and you know those idols are nothing, could I go back and buy meat? And some people said, well, of course I can. I'm not doing it to worship. And then others that were new to Christianity felt convicted even going back into that place. Right. And so Paul is having to speak to them and I, I want to tell you, um, don't dismiss personal conviction. Sometimes God's going to convict you about things that you may still be weak in. That's right. And don't project personal convictions on everybody else either. There's a balance here. And if you're not convicted in, about something and someone else is, don't flaunt your liberties and don't use your liberties and disregard your brother. And so this is what Paul, he's talking about things that are expedient, that are helpful. And then in chapter 8, he addresses the issue of meats and temples directly. He said, food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So his opinion on this is, you know idols aren't real, so if you want to go and buy your beef jerky at the temple in Corinthian, uh, 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 Corinth, then go ahead. But then he says, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those yeah. who are weak. Mm -hmm. He says you can do it, but then what? Beware. Verse 11, he says, because of your knowledge shall your weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against your brother and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's right. Wow. Then what? If you act hastily, and you offend someone. He's just said this is not a sin. But then he says if you act hastily. And you offend someone else. And you cause them to fall from Christ. You've sinned against them and against Christ. He's not talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's asking them to have discretion and wisdom. You know that this is not ungodly. But if you know someone else is not able to handle your liberty. Then you choose to restrain yourself. Yeah. Consider the outcome of your decisions. It's just two little words. Then what? 
And if we could all consider that, it would go a long way to the body of Christ being united. That's right. It would go a long way to settling discord. What then? What happens after I make my decision? Not just can I, not just can't I, not just I want to or I don't want to. But after I make my decision one way or another, have I stopped to consider what happens afterwards? If I act hastily, if I have my own way, is the reward worth the risk? What then? And if we can learn to stop to consider the what then, we'll spare the church heartache, we'll, we'll spare the church offense, and you also, if you can learn to practice that in your life, you just might save your soul. James chapter 1, verse number 14, says each one is tempted. Have you ever been tempted? Yeah. The Bible says you have. Each one has been tempted. When he is drawn away by his own lust or desires, and he is enticed. And then it says when this desire has conceived, it's going to give birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, when it's finished, it's going to bring forth death. And so he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brother. A lot of people are deceived because they're not sinning right now. And they're ignorant to the direction they're headed. Because they can justify where they're at right now, they've missed the fact that direction is just as important as location. And they're walking away from God. They're walking away from the will of God. They're walking away from righteousness and holiness, even if they haven't yet crossed that threshold that yeah. we call sin. Right. Yeah. They begin to desire something other than the things of God. You see, the what then or the then what doesn't just apply to the church, but to us individually when temptation comes, when we're making our own decisions that are ours to make. Yeah. When you're making decisions that I can't say, don't do that, it's wrong. But yet for you, it might be leading you away. It just might be wrong for you. True. You may not have any peace in certain environments. And it may not be wrong for everybody, but you're weak in that area, it's wrong for you. You may not be able to handle certain things. Some people, their life and their marriage would be much better if they would just get rid of the internet. Some people, their entire life would be better, they would much be much more productive if their phone would get a little dumber and they could get Facebook off of it. Or whatever other social media gets so mixed up. Right. But I can't preach against everything because you're weak. Come on. Amen? Come on. And so there's some things you've got to look at your life and say, if I continue on this, what happens next? Is this good for me or is it bad? We 
know where we want to go, but I'm asking you, what path are you on? You've got to consider the end of the matter. That's wisdom. There's a saying, and I'll probably get it wrong, but it's something like this. When you get where you're going, where will you be? When you get where you're going, where will you be? Years ago, there was a country song, and uh, I only listen to gospel music, but something is wrong with my brain. If I hear a song in Walmart, I remember it to the day I die, and it can play at any time. It's like a broken jukebox. It just skips around, and I know every word to every song. I don't know any of them in order. Uh, even church songs I've sang all my life. I just, something, there's a glitch somewhere, but music just stays with me. And as I was uh, looking at this, I remembered a song I heard years ago. I didn't know who sang it. I couldn't tell you when I heard it. But it was a country song that actually had a good message. And so I looked it up. It's called Dinwad. I'm going to read you a few of the words here. It says, it starts out, he's singing about his friend. He said, I've got a good friend who's got a good life. He's got two pretty children and a real nice wife. Yet he never seems quite satisfied. I said, I know what's on your mind, but you better think about it before you cross that line. The grass ain't always greener on the other side. And then he sings, then what? What are you going to do when the new wears off and the old shines through? And it ain't really love and it ain't really lust. And you ain't anybody anybody's going to trust. Then what? What do you got? Where are you going to turn when you can't turn back for the bridges you burn? That's a good little message, isn't it? And then when, then when you continue on, he says, when you're standing on the brink before you jump, you got to step back and think there's a prize for every promise you don't keep. And he concludes, he says, do what you want, do what you wish. It's your life, but remember this. There's bound to be some consequences sneaking under other fences. Then what? What's he going to do? Now, I know the song is speaking of marital infidelity. But the same message rings true for any temptation and unfaithfulness to the Lord. There is a pleasure in sin that lasts for just a season. Or nobody would be enticed by it. True. There's something when you can just let go of the rope and relax and don't, don't have any self-control and, and don't con constrain yourself any longer and don't step up and be man or woman enough to take care of your responsibilities. It might be nice for a day or two. Right. Or week, or month, or even a year. But at some point, every dance, you've got to pay the dancer. There's a price to be paid for the decisions that you make. True. And the wage of sin, ultimately, the Bible says, is death. People make poor decisions because they're deciding today on things that they'll pay for tomorrow. Yeah. What then have you considered it? Esau traded his birthright because in the moment that was the best decision. Yep. He wanted food right then. Mm -hmm. But what about the what then? What happens afterwards? 
He couldn't go back once it was gone. It says he cried with bitter tears. And the author of Hebrews uses this story as a warning to us. It says, look carefully that you don't fall short of the grace of God and become a fornicator, become a profane person, become an idolater that's serving anything other than God and his will. Yeah. Allow bitterness to come into your heart. These are all the things that he's equating with making the same decision Esau made. And just like Esau, if you make the wrong decision now, you won't inherit the blessing later. What then? What about the rich man? Jesus warned us about a rich man who worked all of his life and was blessed in the things that he did. And... He was in pursuit of security. He was in pursuit of comfort. And he finally felt like he had attained enough. He hadn't had time for all that religious stuff. He, he didn't have all that time uh, to spend seeking after God because you can't spend that. Mm. He wasn't thinking ahead. He was thinking about what he could use right now. And he might have planned to settle all that in the future. But he couldn't use it right now. So he got what he wanted to get. And then he found out he had got the wrong thing. Because he died. And God said to him, fool. Now, I know the Bible says for us not to call anybody a fool. But if God calls you a fool, you are a fool indeed. God said, you fool. You couldn't see past your own nose. You couldn't see past the moment you were living in. This night, your soul is going to be required. And then who's going to spend all those things you've got? What are you going to do with all the things you've got your grubby hands on? You've laid up treasures for yourself and you're not rich towards God. It makes sense now, but what about... Yeah. Hallelujah. We've got to consider these things. Just like that rich man, we all have an appointment that we have to keep. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for men once to die. And after this, the judgment. And this is the ultimate what then question. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. Based on the decisions we've made down here, what happens then? What happens next? When I breathe my last tear, then what? When all my deeds are done, when all my decisions are made, as a tree falls, that's how it's going to lay. There comes a point where I can't move from where I'm at. And then, what? Yep. Are you saved this morning? Oh, and are you sure? He continues after saying it's appointed a man wants to die and after this the judgment. He gives us the answer. If your then what has a question mark at the end instead of an exclamation point, then you need to know and have it settle what happens next. He 
gives us the answer. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. If you are unsure when I say, are you saved? The only answer is Jesus Christ. Right. He holds the future. He's our only hope of salvation. And if you've went the wrong way, no matter how far you've went or how fast you've been going, the answer's the same. Stop! Oh, yeah. And turn around. Stop and turn around. We call that repentance. Right. Turn to God. First John chapter 2. I know that I'm looking at a church full of precious saints, but there just might be someone who's drifting away. I want to stop you today before you get any further. First John chapter 2, verse number 16 through 17 says, For all that is in the world, whatever it is that's alluring to you right now, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but is of the world. Yes. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. That's the answer to the ultimate then what? I'm going to live forever and be like Christ as long as I'm believing and doing the will of God today. Are you trusting in the Lord? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? When that first group on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse 37 heard the message of the risen Savior, they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And the answer has not changed. God's word is forever settled. Amen. If you want to live eternally, if you want to abide forever, you've got to do the will of God. And this is the answer that was given to the multitude that day. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. There it is. If you're a believer, you've got to repent. Yes. And be baptized. Every one of you. Pastor, do I have to be baptized? Well, it depends on whether you're an everyone. That's right. If you're someone, you've got to get baptized. Amen. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's tell them how to do it. I'm going to call that holy, saving name over you. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. That's why we do it. Yes. To wash away your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you haven't yet received the Spirit, there's a promise for you. Oh, yes, it is. I want to be sure that I'm ready for then. I want to be baptized and have my past washed away. I want to be baptized in the Spirit and have the power that I need and the resurrection life inside of me so that I can be sanctified and that I can overcome and I can be a witness and, and I can stand one day before the Lord. That same spirit that was in Christ. That's what I need dwelling inside of me. That's why he gave us the promise. He knew that we needed it. I want to ensure my then what? Whatever you're seeking, nothing is more important 
than seeking the will of God and seeking his spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then what? Well, after that, you've got to continue in holiness. Would you stand with me? Second Peter chapter 3. I'll read verse 10 through 11, and then we'll skip to verse number 14. I'm going to open the altar. I wish everybody would come and pray. Can I just be honest? I wish everybody would come and pray. Because we all have decisions we have to make. We all have struggles that we face. God, give us discretion. Give us wisdom. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? When we get to the then what, all the right nows aren't going to matter anymore because it's all going to be burned up. And so what manner of person should we be? Verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. I'm looking ahead to what's next. I'm living for the next world, not this one. Looking forward to these things, being diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. If that's not your testimony this morning, or if there is any question at all, you better take care of it now so you'll be ready then. Are you without spot and blameless before God? I'm opening the altar. I wish you would come and let's seek Him diligently. You can kneel at the chairs. You can come and stand. You can sit on the floor. I don't care what you do, but I want you to get along with the Lord. And I want you to respond to His voice. If God is speaking to you and you've made some decisions that you need to turn away from, right now is the time to do it. If there are things you need to surrender to Him, right now is the time to do it. If you've never repented, don't let this day go by. If you've never been baptized, I've got fresh water and it's warm. Today's the day of salvation. Take care of it today. If you've never received the Spirit, right now is the time to start asking, Lord, baptize me with your precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I believe. Lord, I need you. I want all that you have for me. God, change me from the inside out. Right now is the time to pray fervently and seek the face of the Lord. Answer the question now. After this, then what?